0: Hello and welcome to the latest ClearBridge podcast. This is Robin Freeman, Client Portfolio Manager at ClearBridge Investments. ClearBridge is a global equity manager with $208 billion in assets under management committed to delivering long-term results through authentic active management. We integrate ESG considerations into our fundamental research process across all strategies. It has never been more important for asset managers to understand their portfolio companies and address the long-term environmental, social and governance, also known as ESG, risks within them. ClearBridge's work of integrating ESG in financial analysis 35 years ago, and the latest updates in our ESG integration and the impact we're having with companies we own and engage with are available in ClearBridge's fifth annual stewardship report, available now on our website. The report details how ClearBridge uses its influence as a significant shareholder to promote positive change through company engagement, proxy voting, and thought leadership. That change can happen in many areas, such as human capital management, diversity, equity, inclusion, and one major area of focus is climate. With me today to discuss the impact of ClearBridge and its role as an ESG investor on the goal of achieving net-zero greenhouse gas emissions are Benedict Buckley, CFA Portfolio Analyst for the ClearBridge Sustainability Leader Strategy, and David Hoxton, CFA Senior Analyst for Financials at ClearBridge. Ben, hello and welcome.
1: Hi, Robin. Great to be with you.
0: And David, welcome to the virtual podcast booth. Hi, Robin. So while there's a role for every type of company in getting to net zero, the role of financial services companies is unique in some ways, since these companies, you know, banks, for example, but also active asset managers like ClearBridge, take active roles in allocating capital to meet important societal goals. We'll delve into how different financial companies are tackling this challenge, the latest in ClearBridge's efforts in this area, and offer some highlights from the 2022 ClearBridge Stewardship Report in today's podcast titled Mobilizing Climate Capital. So to start, uh, you know, it's really great to have both Ben and David with us today, um, covering many different areas at ClearBridge. Uh, And I thought to start, you know, Ben, I'm going to put you on the hot seat first. Net zero by 2050 was a common phrase from governments around the world to corporates. And we've heard governments and companies making a number of net zero commitments. For listeners unfamiliar, what does all this mean?
2: Thanks, Robin. That's a a good place to start. So each year we're putting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than natural processes can remove. So the amount of carbon dioxide in that atmosphere is rising, and that's causing the planet to to warm and having knock-on effects on the way the climate works. We're emitting around 60 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalents into the atmosphere every year. We need to get that as close to zero as possible and then have what they call negative emissions technologies, which is going to actually remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere in order to, to stop that concentration rising over time. So that's sort of the net, the net zero part of net zero by 2050. The second part of it is the the year 2050 and why we need to reach net zero by around 2050. So there was a study a couple of years ago that looked at the 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 impacts of one and a half degrees of warming on the planet relative to say two degrees of warming, and found that actually the impacts are significantly higher the more carbon we allow to build up in the atmosphere. So to limit the uh, global warming to one and a half degrees. We have to reach net zero carbon dioxide emissions around 2050. It, originally, when the Paris Agreement was launched, we were talking about net zero emissions in the second half of the century. And then we had the, the COP26, which is the, was the latest climate meeting in Glasgow just last year. And they've actually sort of changed the language to, like to talk about reaching net zero around mid-century. And that is to minimize some of the worst effects of climate change that will occur beyond one and a half degrees. So that's where that date has come from. So we've seen a lot of companies adopting these net zero goals, net zero by 2050 goals. We have around 80 countries now who've communicated net zero pledges. They account for around three quarters of global emissions. But that's pledges. Companies that have actually signed net zero ambitions into law accounts for more like 12% of global greenhouse gas emissions so far. And we've also had several thousand companies now committing to net zero by 2050 as well. So trying to play their part in that.
0: Thank you, Ben. I want to switch to you, David. You know, one of the goals of the COP26 was securing climate financing as part of the way of reducing uh, carbon impact. So what does this mean for the financial needs that you cover and what sort of conversations are you having with management teams on climate?
1: Thanks. Clearly, the change that's desired cannot be accomplished simply by government fiat. It requires the private sector as well and banks as key intermediaries in providing capital to businesses or in this case new energy technologies are essential the changes that financial institutions are making in their financing strategies and in their operations vary from company to company but in general i would say that banks and other financial institutions recognize and want to be involved in the transition to a lower carbon economy. And they're doing that in a number of ways. They're making commitments to improve their operations, to work with their customers, with their suppliers, to reduce carbon impact. Banks are also investing in uh, new technologies and supporting new companies that help reduce uh, carbon or or produce energy in a uh, lower carbon way they are also advising customers and helping them uh, transition their businesses to have less impact on the environment many large institutions have made financial institutions have made net zero commitments some have not yet which is kind of interesting but the key point is that banks are engaged on this generally they hear they are shareholders they hear their customers and they recognize that they have uh, have an important role to play in the in the transition to a lower carbon economy
0: Thank you, David. You know, when we think about financial institutions, your asset managers, of course, fall into that bucket as well. And in the 2022 ClearBridge Stewardship Report, we talk a lot about ClearBridge joining the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, also known as NZAM, in 2021. So my question is is to Ben, how significant is this and what does it entail for asset managers like ClearBridge?
2: So yeah, Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative is an important step forward for for the asset management industry. It's um, Become the the initiative that the industry has sort of coalesced around in terms of articulating net zero ambitions, and and it's become the uh, the one that that has become the focus for for driving this change. So we've seen over 200 asset managers sign up, and they represent over 50 trillion in assets under management. So a significant portion of global assets under management are now committed to thinking about net zero in the way they're managing their their assets. So. Sort of more specifically, that means that we are expected as signatories to this initiative to increase the alignment of the companies in our portfolios with the pathway to net zero by 2050. And so it's not saying necessarily that we, all our companies need to be at net zero emissions sort of today or tomorrow, but it's understanding, do they have a strategy in place to succeed as the global economy decarbonizes towards net zero by 2050? And articulating that through targets that they have both short term and long term to get there so you know it's providing a framework and a consistent mes- methodology for asset managers to use to assess companies plans and the focus for us is going to be on engagement to get companies to to set these long term targets and have those sort of long term stretch goals in mind so it's very much around sort of engaging with the companies uh, to discuss those issues with them and that's the spirit of the the initiative really is to seek Real world emissions reductions, not simply to sort of shift high carbon assets out of our own portfolios to someone else's portfolio, but to engage with the management teams of those companies to adjust their strategies over time to be successful in, in a decarbonizing world. And I guess one thing I'll add to, to that actually before we move on is that, you know, one thing I like about the net zero asset management uh, initiative is it moves the conversation beyond portfolio carbon footprinting, which was often the way that sort of climate performance was assessed for uh, for portfolios. So, you know, a carbon footprint of a portfolio can be somewhat helpful in identifying, you know, sources of emissions in a portfolio, but it's not really a good measure for comparing which portfolio is doing more to help, you know, the world get to net zero, and nor is it a good measure of which portfolio is more exposed to risks associated with transitioning to a net zero world. So I think my, my personal view is that carbon footprinting is a measure of portfolio climate performance is somewhat of a red herring. And I'm glad that the Net Zero Asset Management Initiative is is giving us a new, a new framework that's more forward-looking, it's more aligned with sort of how we think about our jobs, which is you know, as investors is to understand which companies are going to be successful in, in years to come.
1: So we're, we're glad to be a part of that. I would add, I think that disclosure is in Incredibly important, and it's one of the challenges facing everyone because we don't have standardized, and we haven't had standardized information or data across companies, as Ben said, and and so it's hard really to to monitor and track performance and success when we are not able to compare what individual companies or countries are doing. So the task force on climate related financial disclosures is going to provide a framework that I think virtually every financial company will adopt and it will help standardize disclosures and it will enable us to measure success and, and show us which companies are really doing a good job and which which are not.
0: You both bring up a really important topic around how to measure climate risk. The SEC also recently coming out with a proposed rule about around climate data for public companies. And I bring this back to client conversations and a popular question on the minds of our clients is how are you assessing climate risk in companies that you cover you know given there's so many complexities to understanding climate change as investors so Ben is there any example that you can give from companies that you cover for the sustainability leader strategy
2: Yeah I mean I think you know overall the way we think about climate risk is in in kind of two buckets so you have the physical risks of climate change so Things like um, extreme weather events that maybe will shut down a factory or close some of your supply chain or damage your your infrastructure, and then you have the transition risks. So it's risk associated with the move to a decarbonized economy. So while well, you'll see sort of changing consumer preferences, changing regulatory frameworks, pressure from other other stakeholders, you know social licenses to operate that kind of thing. That will mean that your strategies will need to adapt, and potentially your products and services that you offer to your clients. So, those are sort of the two the two broad buckets. There's no easy answer to assessing that. It's really sort of case by case, and actually it fits well with the you know the, the way that our team at the firm as a whole is thinking about these kinds of risks as part of their their assessment of a company's overall performance and their overall attractiveness as an investment for our clients. So it will depend on things like you know, your pricing power, your ability to pass on cost to others, you, the, the risks of substitution for your products with other low carbon uh, products, you know, the regulatory environment in the places that you operate. So it, it, it's very hard to, to generalize on that. But I think that one of my colleagues, Donald Lee, actually has a fantastic piece of work that's in the, the stewardship report this year that does a great job of, of laying out some of the complexities of of, a, of sort of thinking through climate change risk for a company and all the sort of the first, second, and third order, order effects that will will, ha- that will happen um, in in that specific case based on sort of carbon pricing. But it's a, a fantastic framework that I'd encourage listeners to t- to take a look at. That really that really helps to to explain sort of how we're thinking about the nuances of climate risk uh, in the companies that we look at. You know, and it's not just about risk; it's actually about opportunities as well. So. There's, you know, companies that can provide low cost, low carbon technologies have enormous addressable markets ahead of them. You know, it's predicted that we have to spend three and a half to five trillion dollars of annual investment to decarbonize just the world's energy system over the next 30 years. So these are massive market opportunities. And for, you know, the portfolio I work on, I spend a lot of my time looking for companies that are providing those kinds of climate solutions one example of a company that we own in the portfolio is uh, called Brookfield Renewable Power. And they've evolved over time from an owner and operator of hydroelectric power plants to a more diversified owner of and developer of clean energy technologies across the, the whole spectrum. So solar, wind, batteries, and more emerging technologies like green hydrogen and carbon capture and storage. They alone are deploying around a billion dollars a year into decarbonization projects. And it actually comes full circle back to the Net Zero Asset Management Initiative and some of the pledges that companies are making, where actually some of them, one of their most important customer groups is corporates. So, you know, there's demand from, you know, that's set by regulators to to clean up the utilities assets in terms of uh, you know, goals to reduce emissions from um, the electricity sector. But there's massive demand from corporates for renewable power. And actually, they've seen a significant a significant growth in in that demand over the last couple of years, and you see increasingly sophisticated corporate customers for them. So, moving from just you know buying renewable energy credits to to actually companies demanding twenty four seven renewable power three hundred sixty five days a year, which is actually very hard to achieve. You know they have collaborations with companies like Amazon to help them source enough renewable power to meet their climate pledges. And you think about the growth of their Amazon Web Services business, they have huge energy demand that, that's growing very rapidly as well. So they're seeing larger and larger deals from, from big energy consumers and more and more companies looking to procure renewables to meet their own net zero target
0: the effort and the amount of money that's going into this transition to net zero. And and really what I, I hear from this is, and what we're seeing is that every sector has a role to play in the transition to net zero. Uh, so my next question is to David, banks seem like especially complex cases when it comes to understanding how they support net zero goals and one pushback I sometimes get are banks lending to oil and gas companies. So my question is, in what challenges do investors and portfolio companies face in assessing their climate-related activities as we, we go through this transition?
1: Great question. As I said before, I think a big, a big challenge is disclosure and just having the right information. Certainly, the big banks have made substantial commitments to a low-carbon economy. Just last week, Bank of America increased its target for envir- what it terms environmental business initiatives from a $300 billion commitment to a $1 trillion commitment by uh, 2030. And other large banks are, are also making significant commitments. These commitments involve a range of actions from improving the energy efficiency of, of their own operations to working with customers to help them improve their, reduce their carbon footprint and investing in uh, low-carbon energy sources and investing in new business ventures. What I think has created some confusion is that large banks are also notably involved in managing underwritings for companies that are still in fossil fuel-related industries. Those businesses are part of a transition to a low-carbon world. It's simply impossible for the world to stop using carbon-based energy immediately. So there, is a, there has to be a transition. I think that the large banks, my example was B of A with their trillion-dollar commitment, are making huge steps in changing the way the world Functions and improving the environment. At the same time, there are still businesses that need capital that are involved in, in fossil fuels. In many cases, those companies have a need for capital to facilitate their transition, to build new capabilities that would have a less negative impact on the environment or have less carbon generation involved.
0: David, you've spoken a lot about data, and ClearBridge owns some alternative asset managers that traditionally have been less transparent on their sustainability initiatives. In the 2022 ClearBridge Stewardship Report, you discussed some developments in alternative asset managers that you've covered for years. How would you describe where they are in terms of sustainability?
1: There's a big difference between the communications and the sustainability activities or initiatives of of alternative asset managers as there are for banks or other businesses. So, what a company uh, is doing, I think, depends on the focus and attention of of senior management. So, I mentioned B of A was, has been very focused on on the sustainability. The CEO of B of A has been very engaged. And, and so, that's, I think, helped drive where the company's going. Among alternative asset managers, I would uh, note that, that Apollo has been more focused on sustainability for longer than many of its peers, but others other companies have also been focused on, on uh, different elements of sustainability. Many alternative asset managers have been working with their portfolio companies to improve their their operations to reduce their, their environmental impact, to reduce water usage, to reduce pollution, to increase operating efficiency, reduce uh, energy consumption. One thing that is not really related to the environment so much, but I think is quite interesting that alternative asset managers have been doing, and now it's becoming more of a, an industry effort, is to expand ownership in the companies the asset managers have acquired. And KKR, I believe, has been a leader in this by distributing shares to employees of most or all of the companies they've owned for a number of years. And what they found was that the companies perform better when employees are involved and feel they have and actually do have a stake in the success of the business. And that is now something that is becoming more of an industry initiative. It's not even clear that it has a a net cost because the performance of the companies can be better, turnover is lower. And so it may actually be a, a win-win for everyone. It's certainly a win. It's a win for the society as you expand ownership in companies and and give more people the opportunity to participate in and benefit from the success of company turnaround. One other thing that I'd like to mention, when we talk about net zero commitments, it's interesting that Many companies have made a net zero commitments, but haven't really provided yet the details on how those goals will be achieved. One alternative asset manager, Apollo, has not yet made a, a net zero commitment. And it's not because they are not interested in reducing the, their impact on climate, but rather because they have not yet determined how they will achieve the goal. And so they're working hard at that, and I think at some point they will also have a commitment, but uh, not until they feel fully confident they can get there and show how they're
2: getting there. Yeah, I mean we've, we've been having a lot of discussions with companies. I was actually talking to a the management team of, of a building products company just a couple of weeks ago, and having a very similar discussion with them around their reluctance to set what they considered to sort of like a vague, lofty, long-term target, and we discuss sort of the the merits of having a long term what I'd call a sort of aspirational stretch goal of net zero where you're it's really acts as sort of a North Star or a rallying cry for your for all your constituents. So your your employees, your your management team on your board and your your customers and so on. And then, but that has to be married with or paired with sort of shorter term, more concrete targets as well. So you know I think it's the job of us as investors to um, be scrutinizing the decarbonization plans, you know, setting long-term goals that are several decades out is easy for a CEO who's almost definitely not going to be in the seat when that comes comes around. But that, you know, that's our role to be discussing with them what their strategies are, helping them flesh that out, providing feedback, you know, highlighting areas that we think aren't robust enough to work with them to to do that over time. Because I think that there's definitely definitely some greenwashing going on or potential for greenwashing in some of these plans that sound great, but aren't that concrete.
0: Well, thank you to Ben and David. I feel like I learned a lot today. And you both really highlighted the importance of understanding portfolio companies and really how complex the situation is of how we as a globe can get to a net zero pathway.
2: Thanks, Robin. Thanks for having me. Thanks,
1: Robin.
0: For everyone who joined in today, thank you very much. Uh, This is a reminder that our 2022 Clearbridge Stewardship Report is available on our website at clearbridge.com. We hope you will continue to join us throughout 2022 and welcome any questions, comments, and suggestions, which you can email to us at podcast at clearbridge.com. Thank you again. note the following past performance is no guarantee of future results the opinions and views expressed in today's podcast are of the individual speakers as of april 11th 2022 and may differ from other managers or the firm as a whole and are not intended to be a forecast of future events a guarantee of future results or investment advice any statistics reference have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable but the accuracy and completeness of this information cannot be guaranteed Neither ClearBridge Investments nor its information providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information.